boards, don't hit back. Hello, young grasshoppers. Welcome to the 14th chamber of your favorite podcast, Not a Bomb. I am Sifu Troy, and with me always is Master Brad. How are you tonight, Brad? I am fantastic. Um, I know we don't want to talk about the weather in our local area, but no. the weather is actually kind of nice here. So, Gosh. Um, we o- the forget master, the weather, man. This is, master this is man. another week of kung fu goodness. Yeah, I know. I'm really excited about this one. We are, and, and for all of our, um, listeners, we brought back a fan favorite, Mr. Not John. Once, not twice, but thrice now. Yeah. John, how are you, man? Hey guys, doing good. Doing good. Enjoying life. Enjoying the crazy. Yeah. You've been you know? studying up on this episode, right? Yeah. Just a wee bit. Just a wee bit. Yeah. For, for anybody who wants a little glimpse behind the scenes, John is the guy that's been giving us, um, links and tons of information on everything it man um it's gonna be a fun conversation tonight yes. uh, i feel like off... i could i could write like a like a thesis paper on it man and <laughs> like get a c plus because i'm a terrible writer but you know john would definitely help me pass at least oh absolutely yeah my absolutely. my my theory in college was c's get degrees so you know a c plus would be right on brand for me it's <laughs> perfect well, um, but I've said too much. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, uh, you know, we we thought with um, Ip Man uh, month, we're going through this. We OK, this week, obviously, we're doing the sequel Ip Man 2 from 2010. And uh, Brad and I had been talking this week and it was sort of an interesting conversation because we thought, hey, it would be fun to kind of start the podcast out and talk about, you know, our favorite sequels. Um and that brought on a discussion of, well, what is the definition of a sequel? Are we talking about something with the title two um, or is it any sequel within a franchise? And so we went back and forth and, and we finally landed on, hey, let's talk about what is your favorite second movie in a franchise? So it doesn't necessarily have to have two in it, right? So Aliens is a great example. It's the, it's the sequel to Alien. Um, and Brad, you, you brought up an interesting point. What is Empire Strikes Back, right? So it's episode five, technically, um, but from a release schedule, it was the follow-up to the blockbuster Star Wars. So we're, we're counting that one if somebody picks it, right? Yes. Okay. Um, well, John, spoiler alert, someone will pick it. Oh, okay. Um, John, you are the most honorable guest on uh, this week's show. So I got to ask you, man, what is your favorite sequel? Um, it's, it's kind of a tie. Um, but it, it's ironic you mentioned Aliens, because uh, mm-hmm. Aliens is actually one of my favorite sequels. Really? Yes. James Cameron's Aliens. So why James why Cameron's. why is that one like considered the best sequel in your opinion? 
Um, for me, it was so, so being a fan of Alien itself and seeing aliens come out and take take me in a totally different direction than I was expecting um, from the seriousness uh, to the situation to the humor with Hudson, uh, rest in peace, oh, Bill yeah. Paxton. Um, Sigourney Weaver, James Cameron, um, Michael Bean, they just really put together a movie that really left an impression on me so much that in middle school, uh, when I was going to MacArthur Middle School on Fort Meade, um, one of our creative writing projects was to keep like a daily journal. Mm -hmm. I basically copyright, <laughs> I broke copyright law and rewrote the movie word for word except for where it was cussing i had to draw like a little censored sign so i wouldn't get dinged <laughs> by the teacher um but i i knew at the end of that project my teacher had never seen it because i got an a plus and oh, her wow. comment was you have a very creative mind this was a wonderful story so you just <laughs> sold yourself out on the uh, air pretty much pretty well, much what, yeah, what's the what's how, the statute of limitations the, yeah on what is that copyright infringement ah who knows they want to come after me come on well i don't i don't think james cameron's listening so you don't have to worry about it but no, that, he's that's still writing avatar 7 7 see in what yeah. 90 years oh yeah, yeah. he's he <laughs> takes a while right yeah. i'm still waiting for um him to finish up and go back and do those 4k corrections to the abyss where's where's my 4k the abyss cameron true lies i want true lies true, true lies too yeah those are the two yes. hurry up stop making new stuff yep. come out with those um all right brad uh, what what is your favorite sequel my favorite sequel would be a small movie called uh star wars the empire strikes back wow that's uh, a yes. big surprise yes i know i know i also so i wrote three down um Aliens was my other one. And then I didn't think anyone would mention this one. Um, so I, I was like, well, I'll say it. Uh, Captain America, the winter soldier um, technically is the second in like the trilogy of mm -hmm. the uh, Captain America movies. Yeah. I really think that is a great standalone movie. Uh, I think I've mentioned it before. It's kind of like, like a political thriller in a way kind of, but in a Captain America, you know, so I, I think that's a really good movie. Um, but Empire is a film that um, I was born in 83. So luckily all the Star Wars films were out by the time I was, you know, able to enjoy them. And uh, Empire was just the one that uh, spoke to me the most, maybe because I'm a little bit uh, of a downer. <laughs> so, um, but obviously growing up, Boba Fett was like the coolest character in the world and still is. Um, see Mandalorian. Um, I know it's not Boba Fett, but you know, you get what I mean? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I think most people would say empire is the best of the original trilogy. I'm weird. Agreed. I think return is actually my second favorite, but that's for another day. Yep. So. <laughs> okay. Is that what, when we get to talking about like, what's the third film you're, you're just going to keep going down the star Wars trilogy, right? Um, uh, probably. Oh, <laughs> Um, See you next week. <laughs> okay. Uh, th this was tough. So you, you sequels. Um, there is a lot to choose from, all the way from Fletch Lives uh, to, Let's you know, one. Friday the 13th Part 2. 
Um, I, 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 what Caddyshack two? No, that's not. No. That's not a contender. No. Actually, Friday Thirteenth Part Two is good. You put it, it, it in is good. Yeah, the, the company of Fletch two and Caddyshack two, which are terrible. Yeah, well, but, it's what's it's true. What's funny is um, when you ask this, there there were a couple of movies that just popped in my head. It was sequels. It was Empire. It was Aliens. Um, it was Godfather War- two. Godfather two was one of them. The Road Warrior. Mm, um, Road Warrior. And, and then it just dawned on me. I'm like, none of them compare to. Not only is it, uh, to me, the best sequel of all time, but it is my favorite movie of all time. Down of the um, Dead. No. Um, <laughs> that's another good sequel. Uh, and it, and it, my, my two favorite movies, one of them is Singing in the Rain. I, I will watch that over and over again, Gene Kelly. Um, but it is, it just, it doesn't edge out this sequel, which I think is the greatest action film ever made. And it is Drunken Master 2. Jackie Chan's uh, Drunken Master 2. Uh, known over in the U.S. as Legend of the, of the Drunken Master Drunken with Master. Jackie Chan okay. and yeah. uh, Anita Mui. So nothing, in my opinion, has come close in terms of the action choreography. Um, it's such a fun movie, too, watching yep. Anita Mui and, and Jackie uh, Chan, who were the same age, and, and they play um, mother-son um, for the film. But I'm telling you, the, the entire film is, is just a joy. And there's so many fantastic sequences in. And I remember when the Matrix video game came out. And uh, Enter they, the Matrix. Uh, yeah, it was Path it, of Nia. Was it something what? like that? Yeah, it was on yeah. the Xbox. But they actually copy a scene out of there um, from Drunken Master Two when you're in the tea house and you have to fight all the guys. So um, I, it it was that probably made, became my favorite video game at the time um, was just being able to <laughs> you know go back and replay that level over and over again. As so a, for people for people playing not a bomb bingo, we have a Star Wars <laughs> reference by me and a Jackie Chan reference by Troy. With your free space, you only have two more spots you got to fill. Before you get bingo, yeah, of course. So. Um, and then at, you know if we if we mention Remo Williams, there's your space right. Oh, we did it. There you go, Brad. I feel like every episode we're bringing Remo Williams back up, especially with John. Yes. Yes. Um, no, that's uh, I, I just I it's my favorite film. It's it's you know. It is not just one of the films that I go to and can watch over and over again, but it's one of the films that I go to and can study it and say there's fantastic cinematography. Um, the story's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, that that's one film I wish a specialty boutique like Criterion or something would pick up because, you know, the only thing that's been released over here is sort of the the dubbed cut version, which isn't a bad print on Blu-ray, but um, there's, there's a lot better ways to see that film. Yes. Question before we move on. Yes. <clears throat> Am I the outlier and still thinking that uh, Temple of Doom is a great movie in the in the original Indiana Jones trilogy? No, that, do, that does not have a fourth film. No, no, I liked okay. it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought it was pretty good. Okay, yeah, I, I I have fond memories. It's it's one of those where I even some of the ridiculousness of it, um, I think adds to its charm. I mean, it's it's a you know a pulp adventure film. Yeah, I was a dumb kid and never realized it was actually a prequel, like until you know I was probably fifteen or sixteen, probably way too old to be like, oh wait, that one happens before the first one. Okay. Yeah, and, and if I I'll be honest, if I wasn't picking um, Drunken Master Two, uh, I would pick Evil Dead Two. I think that's another Ooh. one that um, kind of like how Aliens sort of flipped the script a little bit um, with Alien. Uh, Evil Dead 2 went from that very serious, you know, Cabin in the Woods horror film um, to, okay, we're going to have a little bit more, you know, uh, humor or a lot more humor. 
um, some <laughs> just fantastic practical effects, some some very gory things going on, and it and it pretty much starts over the story. I mean, yep. it's one of those sequels that if you've never seen the first one, you're okay. Uh, and again, it's, it's one that I just enjoy and I, I enjoy the fact that they challenge themselves and, and it's rare to have, um, the same director and writer and everybody come back to a property and then bring something totally new to it. So, uh, aliens, I mean, James Cameron, you know, took over the directing helm for Ridley Scott, uh, Irvin Kirshner for George Lucas. Um, but Sam Raimi did the first one, comes back and does the second one and brings an entirely different tone while still keeping um, some of the scary stuff that was in Evil Dead. And uh, that that would be my runner up. Very nice. Yeah. So ne- I guess, Brad, we can start planning for, uh, I think this is going to be a tougher one if the question is, what's our third uh what was the third chapter in a franchise that that yeah. one's a little tougher uh, yeah because there's yeah yeah because it's not going to be friday the 13th part three in 3d <laughs> and it's not jaws 3d it's not jaws 3d that, that's it's oh, funny gosh. how many <laughs> films that with the title three in there went the 3d route all right well hey look what let's get to what we're talking about this week and it is none other than another Donnie Yen film, the second in the amazing franchise, Ip Man. So we're talking about Ip Man 2 from 2010. Once again, directed by Wilson Yip. Once again, with action choreography done by Sammo Hung. Um, a lot of the returning cast. So uh, Donnie Yen is Ip Man. Sammo Hung uh, comes in and actually is in front of the camera this time, not just behind the camera. Yep. So in the first one, he did action choreography only. In the second one, he's doing the choreography, and he plays Master Hong Chunnam. Um, we have Xiaoming Huang as Wang Shulong, uh, which is a man's student. Um, Kent Chang as Fatso, uh, as his character's <laughs> name. Kent Chang is interesting because he's in one of uh, my favorite Jackie Chan movies, Crime Story. If you haven't seen that, check it out. Yep. Um, Good one. We, we've got the foreign devil, Darren Shalavi, as Twister or Mr. Twister. Uh, Simon Yim comes back as Chao Ching Chun, um, Leon Jiang as Chung Wing Sing, and um, Su Wang Fan as Jin, which is one of my favorite characters from the first one. And we'll talk about the usage of those. But um, Brad, when this came out in 2010, now again, if, if you want to know uh, why something like this is hitting a podcast not called Not a Bomb... Um, this was the first of the Ip Man series that got a theatrical release, correct? It did. Um, in the United States, so way after the initial release in uh, China. Um, so it comes out April 29th of 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, so just for reference, Ip Man 1's budget was, and these are American dollars, about $11 million, um, grosses $22 million. Uh, Ip Man 2 is around uh, 12.9 million budgets and makes 50 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you, you basically spend two, we'll say $2 million more and make another $27 million. So that's a good investment um, domestically. So this comes out January 28th of 2011. So how many months is that? Seven. Yeah. So seven months later um, is brought out, brought here by uh, variance films, um, makes a grand total of two hundred and five thousand dollars, um, and is at one point in time placed in 
Uh, 21 theaters is the highest uh, theater count it has. Um, but the uh, PSA that's pretty, that's or pretty good for 21 theaters. I mean, yeah, screen screen uh, screen average um, for um, is roughly about three thousand um, dollars its opening week. So not terrible, but, you know, definitely not great. Um, yeah, so this one actually has a weird release, too. Um, I guess it was released right after a pretty horrific um, earthquake and um and also after the film released about a week later uh a basically it leaks online and is basically downloaded about 10 million times so um which they is- thought this was going to be a huge uh, money maker but there's a lot of factors that played into the fact that it, it really didn't perform as the studio thought it would um so it did it's, it was successful but definitely um, with bringing this back and, and as kind of cultish as the first one was, this one was a little bit, uh, of a letdown, even with it making so much money. So yeah, piracy um, hurt this one big time. And I mean, that, that's and, a huge and, problem over there. And one Mr. Tony Stark also did not help. So, oh, what, so this is <laughs> competing two. with another sequel, right? Iron Man, Iron two. Man 2. But yeah. in Hong Kong, I think it, Iron, it beat Iron Man 2, it, right? It beat Iron Man 2 yeah. in Hong Kong. Um, and actually, in Singapore, this is the highest grossing Hong Kong film in Singapore history up to this point. Um, before that, it was uh, Kung Fu Hustle. Yep. Oh, rightly so. so. Stephen Chow. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Yep. Okay, so what Iron Man 2 was one of the things that it was competing with. Um, what other kind of films? What what was playing when this thing well, was being so released? Well, so I pulled the January, because these are more interesting films, uh, the January <laughs> 2011 films, because we all know that's where you, you pull out the big guns. Right. Uh, you definitely don't dump your film in January at all. So here we go. Uh, in January 2011, along with It Man, we have No Strings Attached. Uh, the Green Hornet, which, you know, you could draw a line a little bit. Uh, uh, who was Kato in that? It was a Korean action, um, uh, wasn't um, it? Yeah. Um, I can't remember. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to derail. But okay, uh, Green J, Hornet. Jay Chow? Cho? Jay Cho? Okay, that's going to oh. kill me. <laughs> I just know Christoph Waltz is the bad guy. Yes. Of course he is. And, uh, did, did you guys like Green Hornet? I, I enjoyed it. I actually think it's a lot better than people remember. Yeah, I, you know what? Jay Chow. You might see, Jay, Jay Chow. Chow. Yeah. 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 No, I thought, it was, I thought it was pretty good. You I, might I see it on this it. podcast in, yeah. you know, no, six there you months. Go. <laughs> um, okay. Let me... Uh, the Mechanic, which I think last time we talked about a Jason Statham movie. We talked about uh, Transporter 3, three yeah. when we were talking about the first Hitman. Yeah. Uh, the... Uh, the season of the witch, uh, the uh, Nicholas Cage movie. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, I saw the devil, which is a fantastic movie. If anyone hasn't seen, oh that my movie. god, that movie is amazing. John, you've seen that, right? I I, I don't think I have. Ooh. So I well, just put it down on my to do list. Yes. Date night, John. Okay. I saw the devil. You're gonna love it. Sweet. <laughs> um, the right, which is the uh, was that the Anthony Hopkins Anthony Hopkins film? Yeah, yeah. possession um, film. From Prada to Nada. Okay. Did, John, did you see that movie? <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, oh, uh, The Dilemma. Uh, Silent House, which I really like. I think that's Elizabeth Olsen stars in that movie. That's the the one cut 
Oh, um, man, movie I where barely remember of, that one. Yeah. I like that movie a lot. Uh, yeah. so, uh, and then after that, it's like some pretty bad stuff. It So it, it, gets, it gets a U.S. distribution in not optimal time. Yes. yes. Okay. But I will say I pulled the highest grossing films in China in 2010. It Man 2 comes in at number five. Ooh. I will give anyone a dollar if they can tell me what the number one film of that year was. Uh, it's called Aftershock. I've, I've, I have not seen it. Um, but I will say the 10th film on that list is 14 Blades, with which also Donnie stars Yen. Donnie Yen. Yep. Yes. <sighs> okay, a, research. Release. Okay. R- research done. Um, well, let's. So, one of the things that we didn't talk about when um, we were discussing the first Ip Man was specifically Donnie Yen um, and Sammo Hung. Now, in the first film, Sammo Hung's behind the cam- uh, camera. In this one, he's he's a co star, he's a major player, right? So, he shares, I would say, just as much screen time, not, a, not more, but, you know, probably just a little under to what Donnie Yen does. And I kind of wanted to talk about these two specifically, because if, if you're talking about martial arts cinema, modern martial arts cinema, and, um, you know, kung fu films specifically done probably from 1980 on, actually 19, late 70s through today, you cannot talk about it unless you're talking about Sammo Hung and Donnie Yen, right? So um, I want to start with Donnie Yen. I, d- how deep does your filmography go with Donnie Yen, guys? John, I'll start with you. I mean, do you feel like if if you were to go through his whole filmography, look at IMDb, you'd be like, yeah, I've, I've seen like 50, 60, 70, 80, 100% of them? Oh, yeah, I, about 70% of his movies. Okay. Is there yeah. is there a favorite that sticks out to you? Um, so we're talking about it man two, and it is i mean it man i loved um but it man two brought it down to a real world level for me so right now this his small part in um hero with jet lee oh yeah um this is one of my more favorite donnie yen movies Okay. And and then Brad, I mean, how how far do you go in Donnie Yen's filmography? I'm probably the neophyte when it comes to Donnie Yen among the three of us, but Choi will be very happy. I did watch Flashpoint last week. What'd you think of it? Dude. (laughs) I think you undersold it, to be honest with you. Uh, So I was like, my, yeah, I I don't want to know what to say right now, but yeah, it was so good. Um, So I'm going to do spl next oh good um, one good one oh, that's a yeah. good one yeah yeah, yeah. Wong um, jing's in that one and samuel did, hung yeah he, okay he yeah, yeah yeah um so yeah so I, i'm definitely probably has the least amount of experience um so yeah obviously i like rogue one a lot so i can say that too so um <laughs> well that, he's that's actually like the best part yeah. in rogue one i think um, I, I, his yeah, character I, is fantastic I, Love him in Rogue One. Uh, what's interesting is um, if you go through his filmography, so uh, he he gets a start. Um, Siu Tai Gik, which is um, Drunken Tai Chi, is is what it's known for in most markets. He really kind of hits the scene about 1984. 
1985, he does Mismatch Couple. 1988, Tiger Cage. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to talk about some Donnie Yen films, and I'm going to talk about ones that I think you can find um, relatively easy, even from streaming services, be it Amazon Prime, Netflix, etc. Yeah. Uh, and even if you go so far as to say, hey, I'm, I'm looking for like a DVD Blu-ray release of it, these, these are not hard films to find. Um, and he's done a lot of movies and a lot of TV work, too, especially yeah. early on. Um, and Donnie Yen, as we talked about in Ip Man, he's, he's not a Wing Chun practitioner. Um, and John, help me out here, is Tai Chi Chuan, right? Yes. Which was what he was specifically known for because I believe his mother um, was a, was a um, teacher yes. of that particular martial arts. But he gets a start in Drunken Tai Chi, Mismatched Couple in 85, Tiger Cage, which you guys got to see. It's 1988. It's fantastic. Um, in the Line of Duty 4. Now, I know that one's on Amazon Prime because I think I watched it a couple of times while taking flights back and forth when we were doing traveling before the pandemic. That is some bone-crunching action, and Donnie Yen um, is kicking faster than most people are punching in that film. It is, it is fantastic. Uh, 1992, he comes into a role and ends up working with Jet Li in Once Upon a Time in China too. Yes, so excellent they, film. Yeah, and what's amazing is they have a little bit of a showdown in an alley sequence, um, which when you want to talk about a setting that is original and watching choreography that's done in a very you know tight place and using the walls and everything else, the whole Once a Time in China series, Once Upon a Time in China series is just fantastic with yeah. Jet Li. Um, but number two is, is just, uh, that whole final sequence is just amazing. Um, he does Iron Monkey, which actually got a theatrical release over here. Quentin Tarantino picked it oh, up. Oh shit. Yeah. I saw that in theater. Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of people saw it. Cause that, that was when Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Rumble the Bro you know, stuff was coming out about that time. So Donnie Yen had his, uh, Iron Monkey showing over here. And it was one of those Quentin Tarantino presents films. So that came out in 93, but it didn't come out. It was not 93 when it came out here, right? No, it was, it was a few it years was like later. 2000 for, or it had yeah. been. Yeah. yeah yep. Okay. Um, and then he does a movie with Michelle Yeoh in 1994 called Wing Chun, um, which is another easy one. Tight Singh, I think originally was releasing that um, in the early nineties on VHS and Laserdisc, And, and again, I, I think you can find that one pretty easy. His first time credited as a director. So here's the thing about Donnie Yen. He's a director, too. Um, and prior to 1997, he had done some TV shows uncredited on a film here and there. Um, but his first time credited as a director was 1997's Legend of the Wolf, which is fantastic. You got to seek that one out. I don't know if that one's going to be streaming. Um, I think they just did a new Blu-ray release over in Hong Kong on it. Um, the only drawback to some of the films, especially that Donnie was doing in the nineties was the use of, um, undercranking. So do you guys understand what undercranking is in a fight scene? Yeah. Yeah. You, you film, <laughs> yeah, you film it in slow motion so that when it plays back in normal, it, it looks faster. Right. Um, and so sometimes they will do that. Uh, not dramatically, but just enough to where it kind of speeds up the punches and kicks, but I never understood that with somebody like Donnie Yen because, I mean, the guy's so quick as is, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying that Legend of the Wolf has undercranking or not, but I think he gets accused of that sometimes. Um, and that's one film that a lot of um, fanboys will point to. But it, it's still an amazing film. And he follows that up with Ballistic Kiss in 98, which is another film he directed. And it's Donnie Yen as a hitman. Um, 
he makes his splash or sort of attempts to get to the state side in Highlander Endgame in 2000. Um, is that the third Highlander movie? I think it was their fourth. Is it the fourth one? I think it's the fourth. Is Ooh. it? Yeah, the Endgame is when they're trying to bring the TV show and the theatrical characters together, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah. yeah, they brought him it, in that, and it was kind of him. It was cool to see him, but I'm sorry, having seen it, it was kind of uh, embarrassing when, to me, it sounded like they're they're dubbing over Bruce Lee's uh, power cries. <laughs> A lot of his fight <laughs> scenes. Yeah, I mean, but credit, uh, credit to Adrian Paul for keeping up with uh, Donnie. I don't think they undercranked that those fight scenes. Yeah, and Donnie, if I remember correctly, goes out pretty poorly where he just jumps on a a dining room table and somebody cuts his head off. He doesn't even get to pull his sword out or something like that. Yeah. That was stupid. Um, however, a couple years later, he tries, you know, again within an American film and comes out in Blade Two. Um and Snowman. Again, yeah, smaller part, but you know it's Donnie Yen. It's pretty yep. fantastic. He was actually the um action choreographer on that film too. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was. So he's doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Um, 2002's Hero, which you talked about, John, yes. as one of your favorites. It's a good movie. And that sequence is just, it, it's not only amazing to watch in terms of sword versus spear, but the cinematography uh, is just gorgeous. Yep. Um, plays the heavy in 2003's Shanghai Nights against Jackie Chan. Um oh. That movie's not, it's okay, um, but if you want to see Donnie Yen as a villain role, kind of go back and watch uh, Once Upon a Time in China 2. Um, then we get into, I think, what a lot of people, I I think most people who are into the kung fu genre know Donnie Yen, but for me, I don't really think he got a ton of popularity outside of Iron Monkey until about the early 2000s. When he was doing SPL Kill Zone, um, which again he he fights Wong Jing Samuel Hung in there, it's a fantastic movie, yeah. um, and he does Flashpoint in 2007. Again, he starts collaborating with Wilson Yip, um, which Flashpoint is my favorite hands down. <laughs> then Ip Man 2008 puts him on the map, I think internationally and globally, like yeah. everybody goes nuts for him. He does Bodyguards and Assassins, which Brad we talked about that film like nine ten years ago. Um, when we were talking about True Legend, and that movie is amazing as well. Yes. It Man 2 2010, which we're talking about today. Dragon in 2011. Have you guys seen that one? Yes. Good movie. Yes. And it's it. I it's not how – how do I explain it? It's not based on it, but it is very much the story of a history of violence just done with kung fu. Yes. So if you liked history of violence and okay. you want to see you know a kung fu version of it, watch Dragon. Um, Special ID in 2013 is another fun film. Um, Kung Fu Killer, also known as Kung Fu Jungle in 2014. That's on a lot of streaming, streaming services. And it's, it's basically Donnie Yen hunting down a serial killer. Who's just going after, um, Shaolin master. So yeah. it's, it's goofy fun. <laughs> it man three in 2015. He does crouching tiger, hidden dragon, sort of destiny in 2016. A lot of people crap on that sequel. And I like it a lot. Um, I like it a lot too. It's really it's nice to see him. Like, get the old gang back together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rogue One, 2016 as well. Star Wars story. And he really kind of, um, between Ip Man and being in Star Wars, Donnie Yen is bona fide international star at that point. Triple X Return of Xander Cage, still knocking on that Hollywood door. Can't ever get a leading role. 
Um, does Chasing the Dragon in 2017, which really sort of flexes his acting chops. It's a good show. And then Ip Man 4, the finale in 2019. And then um, highly recommend, and I guarantee we're going to talk about it at some point, in 2020, his film Enter the Fat Dragon, which is loosely a remake of Sammo Hung's film, yes. Enter the Fat Dragon. Um, so my question to you guys is, you know, this filmography, I think, hands down, and again, it's not his entire filmography, I love some movies like Iceman and even the sequel, which are just junk. So I'm not saying he's never made a bad film. He, he's made them. Um, but if you look at, you know, just these films in and of itself, he's uh, he's just in a class of his own um, in terms of directing, choreography. He's got star charisma. He can do comedy, um, action, drama, the whole nine yards. Yep. Why has he not gotten a leading role in, in Hollywood? I don't get it. Well, from my understanding, uh, you know, it, it, it's a lot to do with Donnie himself. Um, he's had a couple interviews when, you know, uh, without specifically asking him, why isn't he doing more in Hollywood? It's, it's it, to his credit. He's saying, I'm I'm waiting for a role that interests me. I'm not just doing willy nilly anything they throw at me. I mean, if they want to throw just like a martial arts film where just people are just kicking and punching everybody doesn't bring uh you know a lot of interest for him whereas when they approached him um with rogue one um yeah he he was sold based on the character the story the the way the four sensitives weave into the whole mythos of star wars that's what drew him in and he signed on in a heartbeat um, but yeah, I mean, and we, we kind of know Hollywood does tend to miss the mark. Um, they might have a, the biggest star in the world, but it, you know, if the character and the story and the movie's crap, um, why why do it? So to his credit, again, um, you know, Donnie says, you know, if if I'm truly interested, you know, I'll do it. But if it's if it's not an interesting role or not an interesting plot or story, I, I you know, I'll. I'll I'll look for the next one. Can I tell you the real reason? <laughs> yeah. He's not white. No. True. And sadly. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's part of it. I too. mean, who, uh, if you like look at Hollywood historically, Bruce Lee is the exception to any sort of rule. Um, and they not, only let him. Not necessarily. I mean, Jackie Chan finally broke through with rumble in the Bronx. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. 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 And, but and others has. I, I mean, there there is a timing to it. Like, I if you look at that time period when Bruce Lee hit big with Enter the Dragon, um, there are also, uh, you know, again, talk about Jackie Chan. He tried several times to make it big in Hollywood. Probably followed the same path that Donnie Yen did, which is picking projects where he wasn't the leading guy, um, except maybe The Protector. You know, Glickenhaus tried to make him into the the Chinese Dirty Harry. Yeah. Um. But when Rumble in the Bronx hit, it was it was just one of his, you know, it, it just opened the doors for a lot of films that were coming out in that time period. Um, and heck, even, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, when Ang Lee did that, all of a sudden it's getting box office plus Academy Award nominations. I, I just, I agree with you being Asian um, and trying to carry a full Hollywood picture. It just, it doesn't happen because it's Hollywood. But I'm wondering if it was he just didn't have the right time, like he didn't capitalize at the moment when maybe he should have when Chow Yun Fat was coming on the scene with like replacement killers and stuff like that. So um, they've had 
a lot of um, high profile Hong Kong actors come through. And I'm, I'm, and to your point, maybe John, they haven't given him something that he is going to say, yep, doing that role, doing that film is going to get me the next big Hollywood film. And I know these guys have a lot more creative control uh, in their studios than they do in Hollywood. And, and, you know, Jackie's always said that's always been a big problem. Um, but I, am just, I, I want to think it's more than just not being white. I mean, I, I know you're right, but (laughs) I know uh, it sucks. (laughs) I mean, you know, your point with Jackie is is specifically, you know, I mean, yeah, he broke out big with rumble in the Bronx and they started bringing out more movies. And then what was his next big, uh, truly big hit rush hour. Right. And then they did Rush Hour 2 and Rush Hour 3. They did Shanghai Nights and Shanghai Nights 2. And then those stories devolved once again from something that was, you know, uh, really interesting, cool, funny, really brought people to, you know, brought people to theaters to really enjoy a movie to just, it's the same old thing. You know, when he starts doing, you know, the tuxedo, that's, you know, it finally got to the point where Jackie said, you know what? I'm taking a break. I'm going back over and, you know, I'll come back again. Yeah. Well, so what about Samuel Hung? How do you, this is what fascinates me about Samuel Hung. He has 193 acting credits to his name, according to IMDb. Oh, yeah. He's... I am not as well versed with Samo, um, except I do know since you guys mentioned Enter the Dragon, first fight scene, Bruce Lee's opponent, Samo yep. Hung. Jackie Chan uh, is in that too and uncredited. gets yeah. uncredited, <laughs> gets smacked around by Bruce Lee as one of the guys are running up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who runs up hit. to Bruce Lee? Come on. Yeah. No, I, so I think most Americans know Samo Hung. And I find this interesting. So Donnie Yen has yet to kind of break it. Um, into leading role material in U.S. audiences. Um, but in 1998, Samuel Hung actually got his own TV show for a couple of years. Um, and it was, you know, sort of back-to-back with uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. But Samuel Hung lands this gig and uh, stars in Martial Law. Um, and I think most people know of Samuel Hung, you know, specifically from the, the Kung Fu TV show, not the TV show Kung Fu, but this Martial Law show. Um, and I, I think a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, Samuel Hung is, is the first guy that Bruce Lee fights. But I didn't know if, if you have paid attention to films that he's directed or starred in um, or done a lot of choreography for. Um, I know him because I like the early 80s uh, zoo films. Because then oh, you do yes. <laughs> uh, the zoo legend, Legend of Zoo and then Great Zoo films. Warriors Great from films. the. Yeah, yeah. So. Those are my like, I I know he's like way better than that, but those are my two favorites. So. <laughs> no, Zeus Zeus fantastic. I mean, yeah. Warriors in Magic Mountain, Yum yeah. Biao's in that, and yeah. um, I believe the special effects artists that they brought over had Star worked Wars. on Star Wars. Yep. Um, what about you, John? Do you, do you, is that your favorite Samuel Hung uh, film, Brad? Is is Zoo or? I like I actually like uh, the second one, Magic Mountain. So yeah, what was that? Yes. Yeah, for Sammo, um, yeah, so you said 1998, yeah, Martial Law, that only came about because what else was released in 1998? Rush Hour. So yep. they kind of, you know, built on the thing, but I mean, seriously, come on, Arsenio. Is that Arsenio Hall? Arsenio Hall. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, uh. 
but yeah, after two seasons, uh, Samo said the same thing. He said, you know what? The stories are getting repetitious. This is getting boring. See you later. You know, um, but oh, martial law, one of the all time best fight scenes within that series is with one of our favorites, Troy. Mark Dacascus. Yes. Mark Dacascus. Man, <laughs> we should do a Mark Dacascus month. That oh, guy is gosh. so underrated. He is. <laughs> I love Mark Dacascus. But in terms of Samo, it's actually one of his more recent ones. I believe it was 2016, um, The Bodyguard. Yeah, that was actually pretty good. It was really good. I I like it. So I, you know, love Mr. Denzel Washington. Um but to me, that was like Samo's version of the Equalizer, you know. Yes, and it was it was just a great flick, just a great flick. Yeah, and it's it 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 shows off everything Samo can do. Yes. Um. The now I'm not going to go through 193. I'm just going to here's some ones. If you guys are interested in seeing a large tubby guy kick the crap <laughs> out of everybody in the room, because um, Samo has always been on you know the heavier side, and um, for anybody who knows anything about Samo Hung, you also know Samo, Jackie, Yun Biao, the, the three dragons. Um, they grew up together in the Peking Opera School. And Samo Hung is one of the reasons why Jackie Chan is in the film industry. Samo Hung is the big brother um, and got work for his brothers coming out of Peking Opera. Um, but if you want to see some just amazing Samo Hung films, and again, I think these are the ones that are easy to find. Um, is Magnificent Butcher from 1979. It is oh. a fantastic old-style 70s kung fu flick with Samuel Hung doing some just freaking amazing acrobatics and face-kicking in that film. Um, if you want to see Sammo, uh, you know, you can go to the Lucky Star series. He, he does a great job um, working with those films, and actually Jackie and Yun Biao do um, bit parts in them. But I would prefer people to check out Encounter of the Spooky Kind from 1980. Again, it's a great introduction to like Chinese cinema in terms of not true horror films, but how they would do horror comedy, you know, even something like Mr. Vampire. But um, Encounter of the Spooky Kind, Samo um, really shines in that one. Then if you want to see some of the um, best, well, look, Anytime you get Samuel Hung, Yun Biao, and Jackie Chan in a film, it is going to be a 10 out of 10, probably 12 out of 10. And um, people will debate what is the best Jackie Chan film. I'll always land on Drunken Master 2, but it is close to two other films, Police Story, Story. and this one from 1983, Project A. Project A. Um, it is one of the best films ever yes. of all time, of any genre ever. Project A, Samuel Hung, Yen Biao, Jackie Chan. Um, you will just be fan. It, it, it's so much fun, and it is jaw-dropping. There, every 10 minutes, you're like, oh, my God, how'd they do that? Yep. Um, then two other films that came out in 86, 87, I really love. Um, and Fox has put these out on DVD, and like I said, I, I think they're streaming. But check out Millionaire's Express. That is sort of a who's who of um, 80s action stars because you even get Cynthia Rothrock and Richard Norton in that film. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, it's just a blast. Like the last 15, 20 minutes is just one big out brawl between these 12 martial artists and, and you get every type of style going on. And it's so much fun. Um, and then if you want Samo Hung, wartime Samo Hung with Yun Biao. And again, you want to see martial arts kind of combined with some amazing acrobatic skill. 
then you follow that up with 1987's Eastern Condors. So that is, um, you know, Sammo Hung taking on the war film and sprinkling in a lot of action and martial arts in it. Wasn't that his, um, wasn't that his like uh, take on uh, the Vietnam War? Yes, yes, very much. Um, so it, it does take place during that, you know, time period. And again, it's, it, it's not, your action comedy it's it's more along the sign lines of the action drama yeah. so uh, it's very much a war film um then you get what again if you're if you're going to rival project a then the only film that can do that is dragons forever from 1988 again samuel hung jackie chung yim biao but what's interesting about this is all three of them play against their um screen persona so in this one jackie plays an attorney Samuel Hung is a private investigator and Yun Biao is sort of their crazed partner that they keep hiring, but he's he's Looney Tunes. Um, it did not do well. I mean, that will actually be one of it. When we discuss a Jackie Chan film as a qualifier for not a bomb, it's going to be Dragons Forever because when that came out, audiences didn't like it because Samo was not being Samo, Jackie wasn't being Jackie and Yun Biao wasn't being Yun Biao. Yeah. Um, but it is stellar. Yeah. Um, there's actually 88 films over in the UK just did a special edition Blu-ray release of it, two discs. Um, it has different cuts of the film on there, plus um, hours upon hours of special features and interviews about the behind the making um, of that film. It, you have to buy that Blu-ray. Uh, go to 89, Pedicab Driver, um, 1991, Touch and Go. And Brad, you said you were going to check this one out. SPL, also known as Kill Zone from 2005. Um, you'll get, you know, Sam Hung and Donnie Yen going at it again, fist and feet, plus um, Wang Jing thrown in there um, for some awesome night fighting. Yeah. But if you want to dip your toes into Sammo Hung filmography, you've got 193 choices, so there's a lot to choose from. Um, definitely check out The Bodyguard. That would be one I'd probably throw in there. Yeah. But if you want to see sort of the breadth of Sammo Hung's ability from director, um, action star, comedian, uh, his his thespian side i guess from eastern condors i mean um the guy does it all and i would say that you would not have the hong kong film industry unless you had samuel hung i have yes, a question ben. i was looking over his filmography there's one called don't give a damn aka burger cop yes I'm so watching that it's called burger cop i'm seeing that right now that's a little you lower tier, but it's fun I've, i'm I... stopping this podcast right now i'm watching burger cop yeah i think they called it burger cop over here i mean he's he's just jettisoned so many different careers and um if if you do a deep dive on uh like the movies that he's done choreography from if you just go to you know, IMDb and look at Sammo Hung and say, well, what films did he operate behind the scene as director or action um, choreographer? Again, it's it's another 190, 200 yep. movies. Um, and it's it's just fantastic. I mean, he, I, I think, is still married to um, Joyce Gondenzi. Yes. Uh, which is his wife, yep. but is, a, is an actress as well, an action actress. And he stars, and I believe um, Corey Yoon directed... It's called uh, She Shoots Straight, and that's another one that you can definitely check out. Um, that again, Samo isn't the star in that one. Um, it's a Corey Yoon film, but his wife is in that, and that's another film that it's it is ninety minutes of powerhouse action, and it's very lean. Yeah, I mean Samo, he's he's just uh, yeah. What his filmography goes back to what nineteen sixties? 
Oh, yeah. He's done it all. And it's interesting. Um, as much as I loved Kung Fu Hustle, when I had, when, it, when when news of that was coming over stateside, I was excited to hear that um, Samuel Hung was going to be the action choreographer on that. Um, but he had to back out, unfortunately. Um, but to to what you said, Troy, his his thespian range. I mean, if if you haven't seen it, uh, Jackie Chan, Samuel Hung, um, Heart Heart of Dragon, Heart of the Dragon. Yes. I mean, that was so unlike a lot of other current uh, current roles that he had done up up in that period. So it was really refreshing to see Samo saying, you know what, this is what we're doing, and here it is, and it was actually a good movie. It is, and the choreo the, the choreography in that film, it's it has, it doesn't have as much action for a typical Jackie Chan Sammo Hung film, and most of the action takes place at the end, like the last twenty minutes. But he choreographs that, and the stuff they do there is not just impressive. But if you want to talk about how complex Sammo Hung choreography is, it's one thing to um, have a camera stationary and then have the action take place and then just kind of pan the camera a little bit and follow the action choreography, right? Yep. Because what will typically happen is they don't film a bunch of stuff and then go back to the editing bay and put it all together. They do their edits right there as they're filming. So it'll be great, we're gonna shoot five minutes, cut. Now remember where you stop because I'm gonna move the camera and then pick it up from there and they keep going so that they can shoot these films in a week or two. But Heart of a Dragon, what Samo did was he wanted to do a fight choreography where the camera was moving on a dolly track and it's just sliding down that was following the action. And not only did the actors have to, you know, chore do the choreography and hit their marks, but they had to do it within the frame of the camera. And that is incredibly complicated oh, yeah. and complex to do. Oh, yeah. And Samuel Hung pulls it oh, off. Yeah. And whatever you say about Heart of the Dragon, you may not like it because it is very melodramatic. Yes. It, it's heavy melodrama. But you get to that last 15, 20 minutes. I, I dare you to find another scene that is that complex in terms of choreography and cinematography combined. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I mean, you guys right. are cute. <laughs> well, you want to know how badass Sammo Hung is? So um, prior... He's a to fat guy who is married to a pageant winner? Yeah, yes. like... Well, yeah, but know, listen, listen to this. So we're talking well, about Man 2. Oh, go ahead, John. I was going to say, you know, to, to Sammo's credit, uh, I think, you know, during an interview, he said of himself once, you know, I am built like an elephant, but I move like a monkey. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he does. Well, and so we're, we're getting ready to get into Ip Man 2 from 2010. Fun fact, this is, again, how awesome Sammo Hung is. Um, prior to the principal photography, Sammo had undergone some major cardiac surgery, right? Um, and then he returns to the set. They film all of his dramatic scenes first and then are going to film his fight scenes towards the end right after coming out of heart surgery. So, And Hung performs his own stunts. Yes. And I think the reason we'll get to talking about like some of the the fight and action choreography in Hitman 2, but it looks painful. <laughs> and I think part of the reason why it's painful is here's a guy that just went through this heart surgery, right? Um, but what's even more interesting is while he was filming a scene, and um, it's, I think, the sixth fight scene where he is um, fighting Twister, um, he gets hit in the face hard a bunch of times. 
um, to the point where everybody's like, dude, you got to go to the hospital. And Samo insists that we got to complete this shoot, no hospital. He's got to finish filming this because, again, when you are not just the star, but you're the action choreographer, you're in charge of running the camera as much as the stuff that's going in front of the camera, right? So he didn't want his injuries to hinder the production. He wanted to get that whole fight scene done. As soon as it was done, he spent like five hours doing this choreography when he should have been at the hospital. Finally, when he finishes it, he goes to the hospital. They get him checked out. He gets four stitches. Um, that That's Sammo Hung in a nutshell yep. right there. I, I mean, He's dedicated. He is dedicated. He's athletic and just a badass. Um, you guys want to talk about Ip Man 2? Yes, I do. Very much yes. so. All right. Well, I want to kick it over to you, Brad. Um, Ip Man, doing Ip Man in, in the month of September was kind of your idea when you came up and said, hey, I, I think we should do this. I was the one who was like, dude, those those were not a bomb. <laughs> they did a lot of money worldwide. But when we used our creative American math and said, oh, yeah, they didn't do well over here compared to their box office. Yeah. Um. And this is one, and I, I know when you you watched Ip Man a couple of times for that show, right? Yeah. Did you do the same thing here? I watched, so I went back and watched certain stuff uh, the second time. Um, I'll get to the reason why I don't watch some of the some of the later in stuff um, with mostly with Twister, Um, but yeah, I, I will watch the first bit of this movie every day. So. Okay, but well, where do you want to start? Uh, the boxing in this movie is god awful. <laughs> it's atrocious. It is atrocious, and it. So the guy who does it, R.I.P. He is no longer with us. He died um, in 2015, I believe. He is not a boxer. He's not a trained boxer, and you can tell um, the the punches he throws, uh, the way he moves in the ring. Um, boxing is usually a clockwise movement um around the ring um not with this guy um his stance is so bad and open <laughs> so the thing and why that bothers me is the climax of the film is he and donnie are going at it him and it man are going at it and he is holding his own and actually doing a lot of damage but theoretically if you fight that badly and you're open like when you box you don't open your chest to somebody because it's just a big target. You, you know, you leave with the shoulder, you're throwing the punch in boxing. You throw the most is the jab. You throw the jab 10 times more than any other punch. He doesn't throw a single jab in this movie uh, to create distance, which you would do against it, man, because the whole thing with Wang Chung is you want to get in close, um, throw elbows, you know? Um, so yeah, so he doesn't do any of that stuff and it just really bothers me. And I know about 3% of what it takes to be a boxer. So anyone who knows anything more than me would be even more upset about how atrocious the boxing in this movie is. So it's it's almost kind of hard for me to watch that stuff. Now, I will counter that with saying the table fight is probably one of the best action scenes I've ever seen in my entire life. And I will put it up against anything. I love the table fight. Probably more than I should, but I think it's ridiculous and just amazing. Um, and I don't know how. I, I don't know. It, it's it's just so good. I, I sometimes well, I wonder. Yeah, you said that um, Darren Shalavi wasn't a boxer, um, but he's he's having to play that role. Um, 
Xiaoming Huang, who plays Ip Man student uh, Wang Xunlong, was not a martial artist. So he had no experience whatsoever. And Samuel Hung is teaching him how to fight. And, and this is an actor that traditionally when he was in action films, he was hooked up on wires swinging a sword around. And it was a lot of special effects stuff. So when he came to Ip Man, he's wearing pads underneath his clothes and everything else because in these films, you know, they're blocking for real. They're hitting each other, et cetera. And this guy's never kind of worked in that type of film. So it is interesting that for a martial arts film of this caliber, they are taking a couple of people and inserting them into very important roles. And they are just not masters or experts of those roles. Now, not Donnie Yen, yeah, Donnie Yen is not a, um, didn't come into this Ip Man role, you know, being a master of Wing Chun. As a matter of fact, he never practiced that up until doing the films. Um, but yeah, I, I, but I, he's in a class like that's like saying, I don't know, like he's got talent to pretty much do anything. I mean, yes, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I don't know if you guys. So he's one of the best. So he would be able to kind of pick up on other styles, probably much easier than ninety nine point nine percent of other people. Even you know students that have been studying for such a long time donnie is in a class of his own just look at him um, right yeah you're you're exactly just, right i don't know if you guys talked about this uh with it man but um yeah donnie and when he took the role he, he was not a practitioner of wing chun um when he went to go study he actually studied under ip chun ip man's real life son and in six months um he had it and ip chun uh, went on record and said he was so amazed how quickly Donnie was able to master um, Wing Chun. Well, I have a question for you, John, because you are the one that has just been blowing my mind with all this different, like, Ip Man trivia. We're now two movies into Ip Man's life. So the first one concentrated on his time in Foshan, uh, Japanese occupation. And the second one, I believe, opens up in 1950, and now Ip Man is with his uh, family. And really the whole plot and story, the first half of it, is him you know, setting up a martial arts school in Hong Kong. How accurate are these films in comparison to like the real Ip Man? Um, so in reality, um, we know movies when they take um, real-life characters and they make movies about them. They take some creative freedoms. Um, with Ip Man, they took a lot of creative freedoms. Um, his from Ip Man One, yeah, he apparently was very came from a very wealthy family. Um, the posh house that he had, uh, even his own son said, "Yeah, that house in the movie, uh, ours was twice as big." Holy cow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he did lift. Uh, he did leave Foshan to go to Hong Kong. Um, yes, he never fought a boxer. Um, his wife, his family did come to Hong Kong, but uh, between his school and, and, and trying to get students and just throughout life, they really did not see a lot of each other, um, even up to the point that uh, she passed away in 1960. Um, he was a policeman of all things. Uh, he was a policeman in oh, yeah, wow. he was a policeman in Foshan um, when he left uh, during the Japanese occupation, um, which really didn't happen, I believe, until uh, 1948, something like that. But either way, <clears throat> when it was all over, said and done with, he came back to Foshan and resumed being a policeman. 
And the irony of ironies is when the Communist Party rose to power, that's what really drove him out of Foshan because he couldn't be a policeman uh, any longer um, dedicated to the uh, community that he was dedicated so much oh. to. So the whole communist angle was what he had a problem with. Yeah. Really? Because I, did, I didn't get that from the uh, the people that maybe this movie was aimed for and especially some of the writing <laughs> in, in this. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's the take that not a lot of people understand with uh, with, with Chinese cinema. Um, and it's, it's not that I'm trying to bash them or anything. It's just it's just a reality of fact. Um, they take pride in their country and, and what they tried to put out to the world. And they're going to try and paint themselves in the best light as possible each and every time. Um, right. And to the point where I think, especially nowadays, it, it kind of hurts a lot of potential that could come from creative geniuses on both sides of the hemisphere. I mean, to the point where, um, good example, Doctor Strange, um, Benedict Cumberbatch, fun drinking game with his last name, if you guys ever want to learn. Um, but yeah, they... Marvel self-censored, censored themselves with the uh, with the ancient one, because in the comics he was Asian, and they didn't want to take the risk of uh, offending um, you know Chinese audiences or mm -hmm. other Chinese officials. So they flipped the script and changed race and gender um, for Doctor Strange. I mean, even Star Wars, Brad. I'm I'm not sure if you know this story, but like. Even with uh, Rise of Skywalker, one of the big deals that came out was Finn's character, even though he was quote unquote central to the <laughs> uh, Star Wars mythos, um, you know, self-censored. He was prominently displayed on the movie poster, um, but when it was released in China, it was actually photoshopped down to like one eighth scale. So kind of a little you know, self-censoring not to offend Jackie Chan during his years. He's had problems with um, Chinese triad trying to come in and influence the cinema and how it's going. Um, yeah, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> well, so follow-up to that then is, so you know the historical part of it. You know that they've taken these huge liberties um with the screenplay what's your initial reaction then on Ip Man 2 knowing that okay this is this is not probably even close to the truth as a matter of fact it's not um there are a couple of just facts that he went to Hong Kong and tried to start a martial arts school yep. um the first student that is portrayed in the film is his officially first student yep. but outside of that I mean there's nothing else of the film you would call historically accurate did you still enjoy it? I mean, oh yeah, absolutely enjoy it. I mean, yeah, they. I mean, reality aside, and especially the the great last five minutes of the film when you get a little Bruce Lee well, rubbing the snot off his nose, <laughs> <laughs> trying to impress uh, Sifu Itman. Um, but yeah, it was I, to me, it was still a great martial arts movie. A kid growing up where we had our Kung Fu Saturdays, you know. Yeah, it was it was a great. Yeah, film. Troy talked about that last oh, week. Yeah. It was it was great. It was a great film. I I truly enjoyed it. Um, 
do either of you have a problem that it is the exact same film as the first one? Yeah, but it's weird. I was thinking about that. The scope of this one is so much smaller. It, it is. Yeah. It's, it's it, weird. Yeah. Because usually you think sequel, you go bigger and badder and louder. This one is like, no, we're going to like use the same plot, but we're going to like make it much more intimate of this town. Now, again, there's these cartoonish villains played by these English guys. Uh, Foreign and, devils. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, they even kind of go in and, and to really make these guys evil. It's like, all right, now we need to throw in some racial slurs and you get some of that. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, um, but even with all that, it's like the scope is much smaller because they're like, they're not taking on essentially a country. They're just fighting in a boxing match at the end of this. Cause he's, you know, kind of, kind of Rocky Four. This is like Rocky Four. Oh, it becomes Rocky Four. Rocky Four right meets It Man. Yes. It's like okay. Oh, it's definitely. Rocky yeah, but this four, is like yeah. if if like if Ivan Drago won essentially. <laughs> yeah, I, I I thought it was interesting. So you've got the first half of the film, where again you're following the same plot point of you know rivalry martial arts schools. So that that's exactly the first It Man. Then you get to the second one. And instead of the Japanese occupation, you get the corrupt Westerners, right? You get the outsiders. And get then the, devils. The, the foreign devils. Foreign devils. <laughs> and then it becomes, um, again, uh, trying to stand up and hold themselves against, you know, outside forces or influences. So from a, a story arc, it is the exact same thing. Um, it's even down to seven key action sequences or fight scenes, which is, you know, what occurred in the first one. Um <laughs> The first, the first fight scene is with his first potential student, uh, Wang Lung. Um, the second one is then with his four potential students when Wang Lung brings it back, and uh, that's a pretty fun sequence. Then number three, Wang Lung in the alley. Number four, the fish market brawl. Um, Brad, you talk about the table and chairs. I think that's very inventive, but I think the fish market is just fantastic. I think they took that sequence of – the um, 10 Japanese uh, soldiers, martial artists, um, where, you know, he sets his potato down in the first one and then just, you know, rains fist on him. Yeah. You, they take that kind of sequencing, because uh, there's a joke made in the in the first of the film where his student asks him, have you ever fought like 10 guys before? Yeah. <laughs> he's got looks at it. Yeah, and he's like, you know, well, what happens if they have this? He's like, oh, you, you run. run. Yeah. Um, and, and in that fish market sequence, I think they take on like 40 or 50 guys. Uh, but it's done... It's so visceral. It's acrobatic. Um, it's a lot of fun to watch. And even his student who has his hands tied behind his back is doing all these um, fantastic moves. You know, that little flip um, on the crate over some guy's back. I mean, it it's so inventive. Then you get the table and chairs where he takes on the grandmasters. And every time a grandmaster loses, they're like, hey, that, that desk is slippery. Watch yeah, out. Slippery, yeah. slippery desk. <laughs> And and it man is always you know thank thank you for letting me right. win. I mean, talk about the most humble guy ever, right. which is um, not historically accurate. Oh <laughs> yeah. really? He he was a bit. Why why was he, it not historically? Well, accurate? he was he was he was known sometimes to hold a hot temper and wasn't the nicest sifu from what I've read. I mean, to the point where if uh, he was telling some of his students if you didn't accept a challenge to fight, you're out of here. Oh wow! No, that's not this it, man. Yeah. No, not, not at all. <laughs> not, that's not that's not this guy. Um, so those first fights are really at the center of the first story arc. They're which stellar. Is, 
Yeah, they're fantastic, and they come at a quick pace. I really think the first part of this film is just fantastic yeah. uh, because you get those first five, five stages or sequences that really have to do with the main story arc of him setting up a martial arts school. Then it transitions into the, okay, now we got to introduce you know the people that aren't Chinese and then show how we can beat them and get them out of our country. Yes, yeah, the East uh, versus West thing. Yeah. Yes, you get into that, and um, that's where the two fight sequences come, and it does become Rocky IV right. because Sammo Hung gets in there. That's the sixth one where it's Master Hung versus Twister. That's where Sammo Hung takes some punches that, um, that, that it looks painful. Like Every time I watch this movie and I see that sequence – my body tenses up because of how hard he's getting hit. It's in slow motion. You know, he's hitting him. Um, and, uh, obviously that story about Samuel hung, you know, getting beat up and, and actually need to go to the hospital. I totally believe it when you're watching that sequence, then you go into the training montage, which is the Rocky four training montage, montage. but not as cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they didn't have as cool as music as Rocky no. four, but yeah. you know, it's, it's the cutest shorts. training. Oh my God! If I the tiger would have come into this movie, <laughs> holy hell, God! Was it Burning Fire? Was was that the oh, other burning song? F- yeah. Oh right. God, that song's awesome. Um, then you get to the last one, which is It Man versus Twister with no kicking, um, and and again all punching. So it it has the same structure, the same number of of action scenes. It it is It Man, but like you said, Brad, I I think it I I think it has a main difference in that it lowered its scope a little bit yeah yeah but it was weird because i they bring back well before we talk about the characters i still want to talk about the action sequences real quick again wire work but i don't think it's obnoxious what do you guys think the only time i found it obnoxious was um jumping on the chairs was a little bit awkward um from chair to chair the chair the sequence, table, yeah. yeah, the table. Yeah. It's like yeah. a little I mean, game of Chinese frogger. Yeah, because they're like, <laughs> they're just kind of setting Samo down like very yeah. lightly. Yeah. Like he jumps yeah. and is like uh, very lightly <laughs> onto this chair. Yeah, he's so, not going to float on that table. No. no. You know what, to Brad's point, I mean, that, that table fight scene was the best in the movie. Um, and it, it unfortunately set itself up to kind of fail because, again, as Brad pointed out, I mean, you, t- Twister was... Uh, terrible boxer that's why it's so always up close you know you don't you don't yeah. see the, the the wide angle shots it's always up close um so the the table fight scene it had it all action uh humor and man it, it was just fantastic yeah well, I, and then kind of it man and master young's like relationship coming out of that is like Yes, we fought each other and we don't agree on this thing because you don't want to pay money or pay your dues to be into this group to kind of keep trouble away. But we have this mutual respect for each other because we fought each other. And I learned, you know, that you're a humble man in this movie, maybe not in real life, but, uh, you know, and that you kind of need that, obviously, that relationship to work for uh, his ultimate demise in Master Hyung's like, when he dies, you need to feel like it man wants vengeance because this guy is his friend. So it, I mean, yes, the fight scenes at the end maybe aren't as, as great as the ones at the beginning, but some of the character development in this movie is much better than I think in the first one. Oh yes. Yeah. I, I, would agree I, with that. I think, yeah, I think what happens is if you look, if you look at the first five sequences, they're technically brilliant. 
Um, and, you know, I, I would put the fish market up there with the table and chairs. But what I love about the table well, and that chairs 20, is... Well, that 20... So we'll just say that's like that 20-minute stretch is yeah, amazing. Is, it, yeah, you put that up peak. against any 20-minute stretch of an action film ever. Yeah, oh, I agree. And what, what's, what's technically amazing is if you look at the styles that Samo and Donnie are using... I mean, Samo is doing um, Hungar, uh, Donnie's doing Wing Chun, and Hungar, it's it's known as a hard style. Of course, it sounds like hungry with that guy. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, um, I'm, leaving. I'm leaving. No, no, it's good. Um, you know, speaking of which, just a sideline, I, I find it, I, I was taking notes on my iPad, and uh, my iPad, if you want to talk about anything being racist, my iPad's racist. <laughs> Because every time I'm trying to type in a director or character or cast names from my notes and everything else, autocorrect is always trying to put like whatever the English equivalent of it is. So every time I'm trying to type IP for Ip Man, it's like, you know, yep, what? Yep. Nope. What? Oh <laughs> I mean, it, it can't. It took me is, so is, long. It is, always, does, always is, yeah. is. If I misspelled anything, I just, and, and I'm saying it wrong, I blame my iPad, which is racist, which was made in China, which sounds weird to say out loud. That's why that's pen and paper. There you that's go. That's why I had to go with that today. <laughs> Anyways, back at it. Hungar, uh, so it's a hard style, right? So powerful punches, low stances. Um, what's interesting is uh, Wang Fei Hong, who Jet Li made incredibly famous oh, with yeah. like Once Upon a Time in China. I mean, Wang Fei Hong is probably the most um, historic and notable uh, I, I would say Asian cinematic figure. I mean, there there are more movies made about Wong Fei Hong than anything, but he was a Hongar uh, practitioner, and and it is a very like um, hard style. And Wing Chun, because uh, it it is credited as being created by Ning Mui, which was an abbess in a Shaolin temple, so it's female um, is is who kind of created the style. Everybody assumes that it's softer um, and it relies on relaxation and performance of his tex- techniques in a relaxed manner, right? So quick arm movements, strong legs, but it's very fluid compared to Hongar. And when you watch Samo and Donnie go at it, I find what's amazing is Donnie has this calm intensity in his fights and Samo is putting everything he can into it, like yep. just a very hard pressure. And those fight scenes in the first five um are so technical and they're amazing to watch it's hard in to come up with a sequence to end this film on after you go like you said those first 20 minutes like when you get to that if you've seen this multiple times i i feel bad because after the table and chair scene i'm like uh action is downhill from there yeah Yeah. it's like now you're you're paying more attention to the emotional investment of the characters and you're like, the action is just, there's some hard-hitting punches. And I, I do like, I mean, dude, look, anytime Donnie Yen and his fists are just flying on somebody's face and body faster than I, my eyes can keep up with, it's awesome. But there's no denying that this thing kind of tailspins in the end in terms of its action choreography. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No disagreement there. Um, Another side note, you mentioned uh, Wong Fei Hong. Um, mm-hmm. What movie did Sammo Hung play? Wong Fei Hong. Oh, Wong Fei Hong. Oh, geez, I didn't know you were gonna quiz me. I would have studied, man. I don't know. Around Which one? the world in eighty days. Oh <laughs> yes, Jackie, Jackie Chan. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yes, and he did the choreography he of that did. one. Yeah. I think as well. Did. Yep. That's. Oh my gosh. Send in your membership card, Troy. Yeah. You're out. I know. You're I'm sorry. Out. I got to turn in my Jackie Chan dolls. Your blockbuster yeah, card. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it, the fight sequences, the the first five that are staged, I, there's hard. Uh, it's hard to find movies made um, probably in the last ten years that come close to that. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So good. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. yeah. I mean, it's again, you set the bar so high with those first five that. You know, you want that climax to, to really pay off. And, and to a point, like, it, I guess it kind of does um, storyline-wise, not action-wise. So, I mean, there is payoff at the end, but you wish it would come through the action and not the actual um, resolution of the conflict. But it is yeah. what it is. Yeah, and the other thing I liked was, especially with the action sequences from the fish market on, so Ip Man... It has some amazing sequences, but I never thought for once that anybody was going to land a punch or kick on Donnie Yen. And even at the end of Ip Man, when he goes up against the you know the Japanese general, it, it's an intense action yeah, sequence. No but it's no contest, right? What I like about this—that was one, on purpose, Troy. Remember? Oh, I know it's on purpose. But um, <laughs> what I like about this one is there are moments where you kind of think, "I, I, hey, he's he's struggling to beat this guy." Um, especially against, you know, Samuel Hung, that fight sequence. And then obviously at the end, you know, Donnie Yen gets knocked to the ground quite a bit. Yeah, that was my question. Why? So you look through this movie again through the lens of propaganda. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're taking your hero up against the foreign devils who are white. Um, you know, you are, say, you know, a country in Hong Kong. Um, but you are occupied. Well, you're a essentially a colony of the of the British, right? Why now in 2010 are we letting our icon essentially get beat up by this guy um, when we wouldn't do that in the first film? Why why change that? No, well, I think you just said it. It's all about propaganda, you know. Well, yeah, but wouldn't if they really wanted this to be propaganda, wouldn't he walk in the ring and wipe the floor with the guy? Three yeah, punches. And, yeah, and then out. walk out. Yeah, I, I just I I was really confused by that change because, you know, again, I've seen the other movies, right. so I know what happens. But it's weird that <laughs> in the first one, he's untouchable, right. um, and that through line really doesn't go all the way through to the very end. Um, but again, you know, you're you're making these films because you want this guy to be this William Wallace character, um, <laughs> almost to like a, almost to like Superman William Wallace sort of deal, um, and um, but they don't. In this one, it's like there are moments in time where you think he's going to lose this, and like something else is going to happen. Um, but of course he doesn't, but it's weird that they make that change and I don't know what causes it or why they did it, but I don't know. It, it's weird. Cause it's like, I thought the fighter, the general in the first film was a much better fighter than the boxer. The boxer to me is not, I, I, I guess the only thing I could think of is like, he's not familiar with a boxing style. So, right. you know, he doesn't really understand how to, you know, combat it because he's not familiar with it but you see a guy throw some punches you know for a, a moment of time you i would assume that you could just learn okay he does this this and this he opens here i can do this this and this but anyway 
Does anyone know? I, you all looked at me like I was no. like. <laughs> That's a good question. I, I don't know if it's a case of. Um, I, I mean, if you look at a lot of Chinese cinema, the Japanese occupation kind of comes up quite a bit, yes. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just look at you know Bruce Lee Chinese Connection. That's one of the most famous ones. Um, I think it's. I don't know if there's a different tone or a different message. The only thing I can think of is when you look at Japanese occupation and what the Chinese people are saying for those that come in in that time period, it's very black and white for them to kind of say, Japan is, is extremely evil, what they did to our people, get them out of here, etc. I think it's a different story when you look at like the British colonization of Hong Kong specifically. Yeah, but why did they make the British so, such cartoon characters then? I, I think that's how, I mean, I think that's a movie trope. But at okay. the same time, I think um, it's easy to kind of point out that one of the things that I think communism always points to from a democracy standpoint is the corruption. So if you notice, like the thing of the villains here, it's all about the corruption, the corrupt yeah. Westerners. Right. Um, and... I feel like there is a more interesting, um, how do I say, uh, dichotomy at play here. Because when you look at Chinese relationship to Japan, like I said, it's black and white. When you look at Chinese relationship to British colonization, it's more complex because Hong Kong brought a lot of wealth and a lot of money into that region. And even through the handoff, you know, we talked about this in the first episode, you've got one country um, and two systems going on at the same time. And China is proud of that. Right. So they look at this region as the gate to the Western audience or the Western region. So they don't want to totally lock it down and just, oh, everything is, you know, pro-communism, although I, I would argue that they kind of do that anyways. But that's why it man gives that speech at the end that just says, hey, you. I'm not here to beat your boxer to say that Chinese martial arts is better than boxing. He's really trying to give a speech that unifies everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and you get most of, you know, the round eye audience stands up and cheers for him, except for the one guy, the corrupt, the corrupt Westerner who walks out. And so I think this message tone is a little bit different because um, just as John was pointing out where we might be a little bit more, touchy about our film scripts and everything going to Hong Kong. Obviously, in we talked about this uh, last week, the censorship and how they go through their scripts, they're very touchy about it, right? But I think they're being very touchy about, hey, this was the first film that got a theatrical release, only it was 26 theaters in the U.S. But in order for it to play into a larger international market, it was probably going to have to tone that propaganda crap down a little bit. That's a good point. Yeah. I didn't so, think about it to make international appeal. Um, yeah, yeah it, and keep in mind, Ip Man was a big film for the Asian market, but it didn't get a theatrical release over here. Um, it didn't. It made a uh, it made a name for itself when it got into home video distribution, and then obviously when the sequel sequel came along, you know they they knew they struck gold. So go ahead and recreate the first movie, but tone down the propaganda a little bit, right? Um, and if you think about it, most of the film really has to do with him setting up the Hong Kong school. Um, and then you get this back part, which is the boxing portion of it, the, the Rocky Four, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it really shifts tone a little bit from the first one. Um, and it's not, 
it's not in your face propaganda the way that I feel the first one is. Like I love I like the second one way more than the first one. I still love the first one, but I prefer the second one because it, it I think it has better fight scenes. Um I think I, I I think the characters are more interesting even though my big complaint is they brought some characters over for the first one and didn't do anything right. with them. You mean like Jin? Yeah, that one disappointed me because I really like. Because I love, yeah, yeah I was yeah, gonna I say love I love that actor. Jin, yeah, um, and I was happy to see him, but boy, did they squander what they're doing with him! Like essentially, after was it the jail scene? Yeah, yeah it's pretty much gone. like okay, bye movie, I'm yeah. gone. He's cheering like, at the end. And Simon Yam's another one where you know they start they start the movie off where it's like, hey, Simon Yam got a bullet to his head. Yeah, now he's living on the street. And Doesn't then go anywhere. Forget about him for about an hour and 15, 20 minutes, and at the end of the film. He's he's listening yeah. to the boxing match and then he's like, oh wait, what, hey wait, it man, yeah, I was yeah, in it man one, go yeah. it man. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean that was, that was yeah. dumb. Um, and again, uh, we'll talk about this next week. Uh, I don't think they still did enough. I, I think they did less. I don't know if they did less. This one's hard for me. I didn't sit there with a the stopwatch, but the wife and the son relationship, it's there. But this time it wasn't as memorable as the first one. No, that's like why I, I'm, they that's really why get I'm shocked that you like this one more than the first one. I, I do. I mean, um, maybe maybe it's because it, it's a little softer on its propaganda. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, to, yeah, but you can look past yeah, that. I mean, you can to, to kind of like uh, Brad's earlier question mm-hmm. about, you know, why did they make fun of the um, English so much? I think it was kind of like a small, like you said, Troy, though, uh, a toned down dig back at the british um for all the years of their characterization of of chinese fighters or chinese people as a whole so it was like a little chance to say hey you guys are doofy we're gonna kick your butt but hey at the end let's go get some food together please yeah you know (laughs) it's it is very much a, a unification type of speech yeah. at the end. And I, and I like some of the messaging that he has in this film. Like one quote really stuck out where he says, it's important to be neutral, striving not to strive. Yeah. It really resonates with why they portray Donnie Yen in such a way to be very humble and why, you know, he beats every master and he says, you know, thank you for letting me win. He is striving not to be the best martial artist to beat everybody that he comes across. He's he's striving to find the best mar- he, he wants to be the best martial artist in terms of achieving balance, right? Of, of what true kung fu represents, um, and I think they get that message across better in this film than they do in the first one. The first one, there's a little bit too. I think the Chinese government had a little too much screenwriting credit in the first one than they did in the second one. I mean, it's still there in the second one. And I still find, you know, they didn't, they didn't, (laughs) just like the first one, they come up with some pretty awesome hypocrisy um, where there's the scene uh, that they go to the press and they start beating up all the press for printing the truth and, you know, shining. And they're saying you can't print the truth, et cetera. And uh, then they turn around and, you know, the, the fatso comes in and says, hey, you need to print the truth. You need you know, let me tell you all of the stuff yeah. that's going on, all the corruption, et cetera. I, I'm I'm sitting there like, yeah, you say that, but in real life, you're passing laws that say any kind of dissent against the government, and you're out of yeah. here, right? Well, it's kind of like um, an ironic so, parallel. I mean, like you, to your point, uh, here's an authority figure telling you what you're going to print. Yeah, 
and it, it it's just funny it's like the the bad guys are beating up the editor and then the movie's saying oh that's horrible we got to print the truth like free yeah. press um and i i just i kind of want to flip the screen off at that point and be like screw you china <laughs> which by that statement alone our podcast will never be heard yeah, by china. what eight billion people so yeah good job troy sorry um no i mean i, I it's a fantastic film and and like i said i i maybe it's the tone um and some of the messaging and i i i think it's a better script i mean yeah, I mean, I do. man, he was just a larger-than-life character. I mean, who is this guy? Oh, my gosh, he's undefeatable. It was only until, like, this much larger force, larger than one man, comes in and, um, you know, upturns his life. They turn it around and say, okay, now it's no longer one large occupying force. It's going to be one man versus one man. Who is the better? Yes. And whereas in, in, in Man 2, it's like, um, you know, to your to your point, you know, yeah, one man might have been better today, but in the end, we still have to have a respect for each other if we want to keep walking forward tomorrow. Yeah, I, I like that message better, Brad. That's why I like this one. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> I just think the first one has overall better action, yeah. but, you know, I, I come to my action really for action. Yes. Yes. Really? Yes. So I love the table fight and I love the market fight, but... Um, you know, the, the 10 black belts, even the stuff with, you know, I just, yeah. I, I would have loved, like, this movie does frustrate, frustrate me a little bit, and it's specifically that Jin character. I mean, I'd read yeah. somewhere where they were going to do more with him, and he was going to have more to do, but they were also going to portray him as sort of a, a henpecked husband, which kind of like that. I, I like the fact that he settled down. And he's talking about, hey, I found balance. Like yeah. uh, that jail scene. I, I love that scene where he is talking to Master Ip and Ip Man's telling him something and, and <laughs> yeah. he can't understand him. And he's like, let me sit on the other oh, side because when you hit me with the <laughs> stick, I lost the broomstick. Yeah. yeah, the broomstick. I, I can't hear anymore out of this here. And he's not mad about that. He's no, he like, was humbled. Yeah, he's like, I deserve that. And yeah, he came into another man's house and he disrespected yep. him. Yeah, he he's like, I, I got hit by a broomstick. I got married, settled down and... and He's he's looking at Ip Man student and going, yeah, I was that guy. So you're you're going to do fine with him. Um, but I, I like I like those moments. And it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, it's a huge lost opportunity. It does. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's Troy. They're driving the football down the field. But once they get in the red zone, they don't do anything with it. So. I understand. But I and feel, then they miss I, the field goal, too. So it's like, you know, you could have three points, which have none. I, I think they do that in both of these films, I, like Ip Man 1 and Ip Man 2. I, I think I can sit there and nitpick on each one and go, I I think there are some things and choices where I'm not totally excited about what they did. Because don't get me wrong, Ip Man 2, um, it's, I don't know, I got to think about this. We'll, we'll talk about this when we get done with Donnie Yen, Ip Man Month. Um, but it'll be a curious discussion of where these films sit in relation to all of Donnie Yen's filmography for me. Um, because just that list that I went through at the beginning of the show, um, there are several movies in that list that I would watch before Ip Man 2. Um, but I still think Ip Man 2 and Ip Man are just important films um, for, for Chinese film history. Uh, and they're good films, too. They're really good films. Yeah. But and, I don't and, think they're perfect. And to be fair criticizing these movies is one of those things where it's like you kind of hold them in high regard. So the yes. criticism is not a failure upon the movie. It's your expectations and your, 
you're wanting these films to be so much more than they are. You want them to be almost be perfect and they're not, but you, you kind of, we hold them in high regard. Um, and I look for them to just execute on every little thing. And that's the, those expectations are not going to be met. And that's my fault, but that's just because these are some of the best action movies that you can watch. I think that are like pretty accessible. Yeah. Um, some of the other stuff, you know, the action becomes a little bit much. Um, and I know, you know, like not everyone's going to go out and watch the raid because, you know, it's too much. Um, it is. So you can always have too much. These no. are pretty accessible. The stories. Yeah. yeah. John, I know <laughs> us three here. Nerds talking on a podcast. Can't we will watch the raid action. over and over. But you're, yeah. you're, you're not going to get your wife to watch the raid. Tabitha's yeah. seen the raid. We talked about this last week and she's like, I zone out at some point. And exactly. you, you can't sit there and tell me, I know there's a brother relationship in the raid, but you can't tell me that the raid, the first one, I, I, second one is a different story, but in the first one, there's, there's not a lot of emotional content or drama in that film. It's, it's one guy getting out of a building and beating. Yeah. That, that's not the point. Yeah. But it man, I think is more accessible for everybody. So even if you're not into chop sake films, I guess is the slang for this type of film, right? The Kung Fu movies. Mm -hmm. If if you're not into it, I still think you would really enjoy it, man. And you should watch these films because it brings more to the table in storytelling than it does a traditional martial arts film. And, and, and Donnie is I mean, excellent in these movies and he's extremely watchable. Oh, yeah. So, but you know, to the, um, to what you're talking about, I, I think if they stuck more to the real life of it, man, when they're telling these stories, um, it, it would be even a bigger success than what it what it has been so far. I mean, like you said, first one, he's like this untouchable master. You know, he's he's like you know kung fu god. Um, but you know, if people understood and knew that his his beginnings were, he wasn't that good. You know, he he he, he lost. Um, he went to several masters uh, to learn to get to where he is. Um, the second one, yeah, he went to Hong Kong to start a school, but he went back and forth. What's the real story behind that? I mean, I, I think if there was a little bit more historical context to Ip Man himself, um, you would have a little bit more success to it. Because one of the other things that was kind of interesting in, in reading up on Ip Man is people were, some people said that, you know, Ip Man might not have been a recognizable name. Um, if Bruce Lee was not his student. Oh, I, I agree oh, yeah, with that hundred yeah. percent. Yes. Yeah. And like guess even, what? They're going to shove that down your throat at the every uh, end of every movie until Bruce Lee shows up in the movies. Oh well, yeah. And you'll um, talk about, they you'll tease, talk about that when you guys talk yeah. about it, man three. Cause yeah, three. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah they no, tease him at the end of this one, but they also give you the same ending. Like, Oh yeah, by the way, Bruce Lee. Yeah. And guess what? <laughs> Bruce Lee. Bruce so, Lee. I mean, Did I you know about it. the Bruce Lee thing? Yeah, I oh, get hey, it. Oh, hey, by the way, Bruce Lee. And you should because, you know, there. But I, I'm with it's you, Bruce John. Lee. That, <laughs> and, and that's what I was curious um, and why, why we really wanted to kind of bring you on the show to talk about it is because uh, there aren't a lot of people that I know um, that not just know the, like, martial arts films, but understand, like, the history yes. of martial arts um, and what was going on. So... My question from the start with you has always been, you know all of the detail about this guy and the stories, or as much that can be published or that you can find. Um, 
does it detract from your viewing experience the way they present them or even Donnie Yen does it knowing that this is sitting out there that they they just play it so vanilla in characterization and to Brad's point they make him the iconic Chinese right. man you know does that take away from your enjoyment to me it? no um, it, it just makes me hunger for a, a little bit more in the next movie which with it band three unfortunately um, they didn't do for me um, but yeah I mean it man the real it man the real life it man the father the not the greatest of husbands not the greatest of teachers but still one who made history um i i would find a little bit more fleshing out the, those details a lot more interesting but in, in, to your question no it doesn't take away from the movies for me well, what's your take on the grandmaster uh grandmaster uh love it from a pure entertainment stance i think um again when you take things into historical context uh there could be some tweaks here and there you know um like it, it doesn't grandmaster does one thing a little bit different it doesn't paint him in the most positive of light because he kind of has this thing going on uh outside of his marriage but he never really acts on it sort of thing so spoiler alert that was kind of um a, 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 an unconfirmed story about it man as well right but yeah yeah but yeah i mean uh, another character that like we had mentioned wong fei hong i mean historically it's it depends on who tells the story but they're all larger than life um i think uh jet lee's movie fearless is one of those martial arts movies that really you know show what should or or can and sometimes needs to be done to your your heroes to show that they are not perfect they do fail and there is a there is mm -hmm. a trial and tribulation that they have to go through to return to prominence but during that return trip um there's going to be sacrifices made yeah oh, that, that's another great recommendation I don't even know if we put that on the list last week, Brad, when we were sort of throwing titles out there for people to dip their toes into. But uh, we, yeah, we didn't. Jet Li's filmography is, is fantastic, especially during that period. Well, what else about Ip Man 2? I mean, what other thoughts did you guys come away with? Oh, um, I mean, again, like you said, if you've seen the first one, you've kind of seen the second one, but just like smaller in scope and... Again, they squander some characters that I, I wish, you know, had a little bit more screen time. Yes. And even like, I feel like the wife is pregnant the whole time and <laughs> she has her baby like real quick and it man's not even there. I just got lost over yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, he has the baby at the end and he's like, Oh, I'm glad it's like more like you and not like me. And I don't know. It's just all that stuff was just kind of rushed at the end. Like, can they not make like a two hour and 15 minute movie? Like, is that not okay? Like, are... I think the censors got to the director's cut and said, um, nah, this is what you're going to do. That's all you got to keep in mind. That's always the case with these. Films. I mean, it, it, anytime you get into a Chinese Hong Kong partnership, uh, co-production, yeah. <laughs> you, you, are, you know, whatever you list as screenwriter, you're always going to put this credit at the bottom that, you know, it's, it's not listed there, but it's Chinese government was also a screenwriter. <laughs> so um, is pregnancy like a, 
a weird issue? No, I okay. You know, again, I think keep in mind that this was not made for the intent of, um, you know, this isn't a. How do I say this? This is a a commercial box office venture. Yep. So they're expecting to put it out there and release it in a time period that they're expecting box office receipts. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, it's not of the quality of like a Michael Bay Transformers, uh, where they're qual- qual- quality. Yeah. So what, and what I mean by that is, you know, studios are, are making all the decisions and they're like, look, we just, we need to put eye candy in front of audiences and make things blow up, et cetera. And there's no depth to it. Right. Um, it means more than that, but at the same time, it's still striving for that type of audience reaction, which is, yeah, you, you want multiple viewings. You want people to look at this. There is going to be more of a message in Ip Man 2 than any Michael Bay film, um, and there's going to be a little you know Chinese propaganda in there, um, but it all works, and at the end of the day, I, I think we're all kind of saying it. it it's not going to happen coming from Asia, I don't think, in, in this current climate. But what would be amazing is to take like the details that John has gone over um, for Ip Man and say, yeah, give us that film. Give us that guy that isn't the iconic, you know, Donnie Yen, who's perfect at everything, perfect husband, perfect father, uh, perfect fighter. Give us the guy who struggled and is trying to put all things together, loses his cool, happens to be Bruce Lee's, you know, teacher. But that's not the most fascinating thing about it most fascinating thing is all the choices and, and the mistakes and how he comes out of that that movie's not gonna be made um from hong kong chinese co-production but somebody should make it they should they should it would be awesome they should. crazy rich asians made a lot of money so yeah you can do something you really can like <laughs> you know you, they showed that you don't have to have a cast full of pretty white people in a movie to make money so oh, i agree um <laughs> So is it is it time for the question? Give me the question, Troy. All right. So, John, Brad, is Ip Man 2 a bomb? John, we'll start no. with you. Nope. Nope. Unequivocally? Unequivocally. Nope. No. Should have seen it. All right. Brad? Uh, I agree. It's not at all. Um, I have some beef with the latter half of the movie, but that doesn't detract from the quality of the film overall. And I mean, the first 50 minutes of this movie is yes. amazing. Um, and even this stuff in the boxing. Yeah. Again, I have my problems with because it's sloppy and you come to these action films to see all sorts of different styles, boxing included to be done at a high level. And it is not, um, so, but again, it's still a fantastic action film. Um, it's got a little bit more going on behind the scenes, um, story-wise and stuff that I enjoy too. So, again, I, I think everyone should seek it out. Again, it's on Netflix right now as of this recording. I don't know if it's going to be on there whenever you're watching it years from now or listening to this years from now, but, you know, right now go, it's on there. Go buy yes, it. Go buy it. Yeah, yeah. Please. <laughs> make, make, yeah, I, I understand everybody on the Internet and listening to this probably streaming stuff. Please go buy the Ibman movies from WellGo USA. Uh, WellGo's putting out some awesome stuff. Um, and the more that we can support the physical media, I, I, I do think as a company, uh, they probably get more out of that than, you know, you streaming it or hitting the click button to watch on Netflix or Amazon. So is that the ones you keep sharing the ones online? Are those the ones you're talking about? 
Yeah, well, the first one that I think I posted on Twitter was the um, the Blu-ray disc I actually got from Hong Kong. Because keep in mind, I mean, I I knew of Ip Man coming out and watched it. I think before it kind of took off, and then when Ip Man Two was coming out, it was like, okay, well, Wellgo picked it up for distribution on Hope. So from then on, I bought everything on Wellgo. Even Ip Man Those 4, are region free and all that stuff. Uh, I think they're region A. Okay. Um, but yeah, and and I think they just released Ip Man Four on 4K as well, um, which is wait what? Yeah, Ip Man Four is on 4K yeah. <laughs> disc. So um, definitely go out. It, the, these are you know. Don't tell my wife I'm buying it right now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, you we're, can, you can we're showing our cards probably for the re- the next few episodes. But um, you you need to own yeah. these films. They're they're fantastic, and I, I'll yeah. make it unanimous. Ip Man Two is definitely not a bomb. Um, it is one of the best uh, martial arts films that you know the country has put out probably in the last 10 years. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it's another reason to dive down like a Donnie Yen, Samuel Hung yep. filmography. Um, definitely, you know, everybody, every film that Brad and, and John and I have, have talked about uh, among these two guys, please go out and watch, especially if you, if you really want to get a taste for what Donnie and Samuel can do. Especially Burger Cop. Yeah. <laughs> Burger Cop. So, Brad, you got to watch that this week and tell me what oh, you think. 100% I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you discovered Flashpoint. So. Good movie. Oh, God. And The Bodyguard. What's next the Bodyguard. Oh, yeah, The Bodyguard. It, that one, I have the blue. John, is it streaming? No. no. It isn't? Okay. I might, I might have to see if I can get you a copy of that, Brad. Okay. Did it ever get released over uh, here? I don't believe it did. Okay. Oh, before we like end everything and talk about It Man Three because we're coming doing that next week. What did you did you watch the new Ghost in the Shell 4K uh, film? No, I, I haven't watched it yet. It's a uh, it's you know animation, um, you know at really high resolution is spectacular. So it's a uh, it's a good really? transfer. So now yeah, I know bo- you bought the Akira 4K, right? Yeah, so Play Asia has that, um, and for people who are, for me, I grew up watching Akira with the bad subtitles, um, or no, the bad dubbing. Canada. Sorry. Um, so yeah, so it the the subs are, the dubbing is better, but you know, obviously the subtitles are great. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a great transfer as well. Um, and that one should be coming out in the U.S. here soon. I think so it should, it. but I couldn't wait, and you know, I had to. <laughs> I had to get the special limited edition one that's you know got a bunch of stuff packed in. So um, yeah, but sorry to change the subject, but you no, it's good. I go, I, 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 yeah, Ghost in the I, it came in the mail, and I'm um, just trying to find a time because Cameron has watched Akira, uh, and that's another one I want to introduce him in uh, to because he's. I think he's seen like the live action film, but he hasn't really seen it. And I believe the Blu-rays and stuff that they've done, all of the releases up to that, have been problematic on Ghost yes. in the Shell. But everybody is saying that this this one, they've corrected it, and it looks fantastic. I think so. I think so. Well, that's good news, man. I'll mm-hmm. definitely catch that this week. So next week, um, pack your lunch, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a oh twofer, right, Brad? Yeah, twofer. I forgot. I didn't really forget, but um, yeah, so we've got It Man 3 and Master Z. Um, so... <laughs> This is probably going to be like a three-hour episode, but you know, hopefully, we get through it. Um, but uh, yeah, that's going to be two films. Um, we do have a guest coming on, and yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Now I get to watch two It Man films in one week. So, yeah, it, they're they're it's going to be fun. And the reason why we pair those together 
is when you watch Ip Man 3, there is a character um, played by uh, Jin Zhang. Um, and that character ends up carrying over into what you might call Ip Man 3.5. And that's where the Master Z um, movie kind of picks up. So can you watch Ip Man 3 and go right to Ip Man 4? Absolutely. Um, from a story perspective, Ip Man 3 and Ip Man 4 totally concentrate on Donnie Yen and that character. Uh, Master Z is sort of a spinoff of a very important character in Ip Man 3. Um, and, you know, just to give you a taste, that one has Dave Bautista, Michelle Yeoh, and Tony Jaa in it as well. Um, and it is directed by uh, Yun Woo Ping. So I strongly encourage everybody who's playing along check out those two because it'll be a fantastic conversation um and it'll be interesting to kind of talk about what happens when you take this franchise and remove donnie in yeah i yeah i was about to ask is donnie in the uh 3.5 but you just <laughs> nope <laughs> answer that question for me no see troy you're already reading my mind we've been doing this for <laughs> I know. you know however many weeks and you're starting to just read my mind and you've seen those right john three and uh Master Z? Yes. Yeah. Okay, good, good, good. All right, Brad, well, you want to go through all the formalities? Yeah. Um, so our website is notabombpodcast.com. Um, if you go there, you will notice that we have a second show on our website. It's uh, Friends with Cinefits, which we host uh, for our friend Alex. Um, every week they talk about – he has a guest that comes on. They talk about a film. Again, like I mentioned last week, they, uh, they're younger than we are. And you know, some of the stuff that they, they, uh, yeah. Hey, it's, it's a fun look. I, I've known Alex for a long time. And we should probably tell podcast. Alex that Roger Ebert is no longer with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, so. they're, they're dipping their toes into it. Look, yeah, if, yeah. if you want to feel young, listen yeah, to that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, our Twitter is at not a bomb pod. Um, email is not a pod, not a bomb pod at gmail.com. Um, let us know um, about some horror films. We've got some suggestions from some people. Um, and yeah, a couple. I, couple I mentioned one through. to Troy uh, about one that I really wanted to revisit. Uh, the film's only like 75 minutes long, and uh, the guy has an interesting filmography. Yeah, so. he does. So what Brad's referring to is Chopping Mall from yeah. um, 1986. Oh, that was a our good friend Kevin um, had actually uh, sent me a message because uh, he had heard us uh, asking for some requests, and he's a listener of the show. And he recommended um, From Beyond, uh, which was Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton. It's an it's a H.P. Lovecraft adaption. Apparently that bombed in the 80s. Um, Dead Heat with Treat Williams and Joe oh, Piscopo. God. And, oh, uh, God. <laughs> yeah, and the 1988 remake of the blob i thought those were three you know he's, he's picking them from the 80s and i thought those were three interesting choices so we really appreciate everybody kind of throwing some stuff out at us we're we haven't like made the list yet yet john's coming back in october too so we're kind of working through some titles with him as well um and then november because it's turkey month um we are trying to pick the biggest bombs or turkeys we can think of like the ones that are so bad that because they're so bad, they're actually pretty fun to watch. So yeah. November will be Turkey month. So if you have any good suggestions there, we, we, we have some, uh, 
we have some doozies we're this we're thinking about. Flashback to trauma films. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. I am not watching any trauma films. I am not watching trauma. I will leave. John, they ha- they have to be so bad they're oh, good. Yeah, um, not so bad they're bad. <laughs> I'm not watching Nukem High or any of that crap. Trauma sucks. God. But Lloyd Kaufman is a nice guy, and I yeah, do I've like met him. some of the I've trauma met him films. Numerous times, he's a nice guy. He's the nicest guy you'll ever His meet. Films are terrible. And not well. T- we can debate that maybe in November. I don't know. No, not with not. me. Okay. Not with me. <laughs> well, John, it is always a black. I, I feel like every time you come on the show, you school us in something, man. You are just a walking encyclopedia of like certain genre film knowledge, and and it's always awesome. Well, to have I you definitely on the show. appreciate you guys having me back. It's always fun. Love it. Love it. And uh, it, it's fun listening to you guys when I'm not on. This is fun. And hopefully everyone who's listening is having as much fun as we do. And hopefully they're checking out the movies that we recommend. Yeah. Thank you for completing the uh, hat trifecta. Thank you so much. Yes. (laughs) Um, And then start thinking about like your spooky films for October because we're, we're saving a spot for you. It's gotta be a good one. Um, the guy's known to plume his HR blueberry <laughs> for a shopping mall. It's great. It's great. House on Hooter Hill. Yeah, so great. Okay, sorry. I got it. We got it. Look, folks. It's happening. It's happening. Chopping mall is happening in October. If only that Brad and I are going to force ourselves to go through some of this guy's filmography. And I'm not talking about like Death Stalker, Death Stalker 2. We're talking about the stuff that this guy was putting out like later. <laughs> Chopping mall. Oh my god. Uh, yes. Um, no, I, I think that wraps it up, Brad. I've had once again an amazing evening um, just talking about Donnie Yen and uh, a genre we both love. So Yeah, we got two more weeks of it too. It's not going anywhere. You know what? I, I got a feeling, I mean, come April, we're, we're doing Jackie Chan month, right? Sure, man. <laughs> Whatever you want. <laughs> awesome. That means like two months out of the year, it'll just be all Kung Fu movies. Ah. We could wait to do way more Kung Fu movies. Yeah, I know. That's true. All right. Well, hey, folks, thanks for listening. And uh, if you are listening to this in the morning or the evening, um, hope your day is awesome. And we will talk with you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.